morning. It's so good to see everybody here. Would you please stand and let us with joy celebrate and hail the power of Jesus' name this morning. the power of Jesus' name because Acts 4.12 reminds us that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that's why we're here this morning, is to hail the power of Jesus' name together because of so great a salvation we have been shown. Good morning to you, church, and good morning to anyone who uh, is visiting with us this morning. We're really glad that you are here and to celebrate and worship our Lord together with us this morning. As we continue worship, if you would, please take out the uh, worship uh, folder that you picked up, hopefully, as you walked in the doors. If you don't have one, you can just walk back there to the tables, or our ushers could even bring you one if you needed one. Inside the worship folder, you'll find all sorts of information about things going on in the church right now. And inside, you'll also find this little check-in card. And it would be a real big help to us if you would just take a quick moment to fill this card out to let us know that you're here. You can also do that digitally on our church app, which you see pop up on the screen here. And you are welcome to download that for free. And and it's all pretty easy to use if you like to use apps like that. 
And in the app or on this card on the back, there's a spot where you can let us know of any prayer requests that you have that uh, not only the pastors and church staff can pray for, but the church also. The, we send out a prayer uh, email every week, and it's just a sweet thing where all of the church comes alongside each other, pr- lifts each other up in prayer uh, to the Lord, or rejoicing in things that we're thankful for. So feel free to share things that the Lord is doing that you are celebrating in your life as well. If you are a special visitor with us, we do want to extend a special welcome to you. And I would encourage you, when you're done filling out this card, is to hold on to it until at the end of the service, you can go out these double doors here, and we have a welcome desk. And if you take this card to them, they would be more than happy to, first of all, greet you, to get to know you, and they have a gift they'd like to give to you, and they can answer any more questions you have about the church. And in general, though, if you... Um, at the end of the service, you can take these pieces of paper and you can slide them in the white tables um, at the entrances. Well, I'm going to sound like an infomercial here for a second. You know how infomercials tend to, to portray all the bad things in your life in, in black and white, and then all of a sudden it turns into color when it's a good thing in your life? Well, let's, see, let's say like this. Do you ever feel like your prayer life is stale and stagnant? Okay, imagine the black and white right now. That you just, you're praying the same thing over and over again, but not, nothing new you're really praying about. Oh, now we go into color. Okay, this is a good resource we want to recommend to you this month that will help answer that, that will help you give you new things to pray for on a daily and even a weekly basis. And it's Praying for Sunday, You, Your Pastor, and the Next Sermon by Dr. Michael Fabares. This is a really super simple, awesome book full of prayer prompts that'll help you grow in your own personal walk with the Lord and obedience as you prepare for Sunday. It'll help you consider Sunday as the highlight and the pinnacle of your week, but it'll also help you in your prayer life as it gives you prompts for praying for the pastor as he, as he prepares a sermon, for praying for the services on Sunday morning, for praying for the gospel proclamation, praying for unbelievers, and even prompting you to pray in the middle of the sermon while the pastor's preaching, praying that people will receive the word in their hearts and come to believe, or to pray that the believers will be transformed by the preaching of the word. And so just a really sweet book, very easy to use. This is something we want to give to you for free, and you can find it if you go out these double doors at the end of the service. There's our whole resource center. It's this whole wall of bookshelves, but there's a table that just has this book on it, and so you're free to wel- uh, and welcome to pick up a book um, at no cost. Um, just want you to read it and to grow and learn from it. And we also have an exciting opportunity coming up in two weeks. So I really want you guys to mark your calendars and be ready for this. July 17th, Sunday, we're going to take our second service and we're going to relocate it um, at 11 a.m. in the park in Mackinac, in Veterans Park. And so this is an awesome opportunity where we get to love on our community and we have been given full license to proclaim the gospel over really loud speakers in the heart of the town. What an awesome, awesome opportunity for it. And we invite you all to come. It's going to be like our traditional service, but we're going to be right in the center of town, and we're going to be looking to invite 
all the people from the community. So come and be edified and worship with us as you normally would, but also come with a mindset ready to meet people you've never seen before, ready to love on people from the community who might wander over to see what is all this about and to welcome them and to show them hospitality, even though they're not inside the Newcastle building, but we're taking Newcastle to the heart of the town in Mackinac. So just a super tremendous opportunity to love our community. We encourage you all to come. So again, that's the 17th of July, 11 a.m. at the park. There is some courtesy parking provided for those who need it right by the village town hall center thingy. There's some other places where you can park, like the bank. Um, But most of the parking is going to be on the street. And you might have to walk a little bit, but bring a lawn chair. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be so much fun. We're looking forward to it. But let me pray, and then we will continue singing to the Lord. Father, you are an awesome God. You are so glorious. You are clothed in majesty and splendor. You are all-powerful. You are infinite in who you are, and you don't need anything. You, you are self-sufficient. We are so different from you. We are but creatures created by you, and we have been created, though, Lord, to glorify you, to worship you, and enjoy you. And I thank you that you have saved us and restored us to a place where we can enjoy you, where we can delight in you and worship you and serve you. So I pray this morning that no matter what we're going through in life, that you will help us to fix our eyes and our thoughts upon you, Lord, and that you will delight in us as we delight in you. Rest this in your son's name. Amen. Well, before you stand, there's this passage that kind of came to my mind this morning in relation to our psalms. It's Psalm 34. In verse 1, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And I was thinking about that. When we come to Sunday morning, all of us are in different places in our lives. We have different things going on. Maybe some of us are going through some trials, suffering, really hardship times. Maybe some of us have been struggling with sin all throughout the week. But yet the psalmist says, I will bless the Lord all the time. So it doesn't matter this morning whether you've been struggling with sin. If your heart is broken before the Lord, you can still come before his throne and worship. It doesn't matter if you've been suffering this week because Christ has saved you and you can still worship him even when you don't feel like it, even when you feel hurt and broken. It doesn't matter if you're tired, it doesn't matter if you're sick, if you're dying, you can worship the Lord at all times because Christ has put that song in our hearts. So we can come before his throne and worship him because of who he is and not because of our circumstances. So would you please stand with us as we sing Before the Throne of God. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands, my name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. 
Satan tempts me to despair And tells me of the guilt within Upward I look and see him there Who made an end to all my sin Because the sinless Savior died My sinful soul is counted free For God the just is satisfied To look on him and pardon me on him and pardon me. my Savior and my God. One with Himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by His blood. My life is hid with Christ on high. With Christ my Savior and my God. With Christ my Savior and my God. Casting down 
job worship team I just kind of hated for that to end that was good well good morning Newcastle it's it's great to see you here today and welcome to the worship of Jesus want to wish you a happy fourth of July weekend and hope that you're able to spend some time with family and friends this weekend and maybe enjoy some fireworks and parade and all those things that make living in small town America pretty special would you please uh, bow and pray with me now Well, Father, we bow our heads uh, this morning to pray to you, and we recognize you as the one and only true God, the creator of heavens and earth. It's truly our desire to bring all honor and glory to you as we worship you this morning. Please, Lord, would you receive all the aspects of our service this morning as our small effort to worship you from our songs to our prayers and our preaching and then as we partake in communion together. Thank you, God, for choosing us to be your people. As we celebrate the birthday of our nation this weekend, we want to pray for Thank you for the freedoms we've enjoyed for so many generations. Thank you for the local churches that dot the small towns and large cities all across the country. 
Father, we do confess that as a nation, we have wandered away from the truths found in your word. And so we pray that you give us as believers the courage to continue to seek out and stand on these truths, despite sometimes overwhelming pressure from the world to conform. We pray Romans 12 too, that we would not be conformed to this world, but rather transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we ask you, God, for discernment on what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. We are privileged to pray for one of these local churches this morning, Summit Point in East Peoria. And we pray that uh, even as Paul taught us in 2 Thessalonians to pray for our neighboring churches, we ask that your word would continue to be taught well to the folks that attend and could be received with the honor that it deserves. We pray that you would strengthen all the various ministries at Summit, but we do specifically pray this morning for their life group ministry. We recognize that in a church as large as uh, Summit is, how important life group ministry is. And so continue to create strong relationships within those groups. We pray that you'd bring new leaders for them, and we pray that the saints at Summit would continue to be equipped to live lives worthy of their calling. We're also thankful, God, to pray for our global outreach partners, Dustin and Becca King. Serving in Ecuador, and we're thankful for the wonderful recent weekend that they had celebrating the wedding of Weston, their son, to his wife, Gabby. And we pray that their marriage could be built and established on a foundation of Jesus, and it could be glorifying to you. We know there's been much uh, unrest in Ecuador of late, and we pray that you would continue to give wisdom to Dustin and Becca, along with their church, and coming alongside Ecuadorians who are suffering greatly. We do look forward to them returning stateside next month, and we ask for safe travels. We ask for a smooth transition as they pack and leave their home and a refreshing time here in the States. So now, Father, we look forward to learning from your word, and we do pray for Kevin as he teaches. We pray that the power of your word would bring peace, correction where needed, and training in all righteousness. We praise you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand with us again, if you're able, as we sing a song that reminds us that our salvation, our sanctification, and our finish, our ability to reach the finish line is all in Christ and not in ourselves. of grace is Jesus my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing, all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. What 
Those are such humble, God-centered lyrics to sing together as we rejoice in our great salvation through Christ alone. Thank you for singing out your faith in Christ this morning together. Well, let's continue our worship now by opening your copy of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, just raise your hand and our ushers would be glad to give you a copy of God's Word Remember, biblical worship is a whole person response to the revelation of God. 
And that's why we encourage people to have an open Bible in front of you during the sermons so that you can continually interact with the text of Scripture even while we preach it for your greater joy. After all, today's Scripture contains really good news. If this is your first time back at church in a while, Oh, you picked a great Sunday, a very special Sunday to gather together with us here. Some have said that Ephesians 2 verses 4 to 10 offer the best summary of the gospel found in the scripture. So before we read this special text, let me just quickly review where we are so far in our study of Ephesians together. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus from a Roman prison. And this entire letter, these entire six chapters, could be summarized by the sentence that's shown at the bottom of the screen there, that God has so united us in grace that we might live in love together, all to the praise of His glory. The first three chapters of Ephesians describe the spiritual calling of the Christian, what God has done in us. The last three chapters of Ephesians describe the spiritual conduct of the Christian. How then should we live? And today we're looking at chapter two, right? And chapter two is all about the Christian's position in Christ. The first half of chapter two, verses one to 10 describe the individual's position in Christ. And then verses 11 to 22 describe our corporate position in Christ together. In other words, how all Christians are positioned together in Christ as his body. So let's read the scripture now. And if you're able, I'd invite you to stand in honor of the public reading of God's word as I read from the ESV translation from Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, to catch up the context. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace You have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, 
so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the reading of the gospel. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, our hearts are eager to dive into this text and be renewed. And so I'm praying, Father, that your spirit would do an amazing, glorious, powerful work among us in the assembled congregation today, that you would take Ephesians 2, 4 to 10, and press that deep into the recesses of our hearts, that we'd be more conformed to the image of Christ and how we think and how we live and how we worship you. Oh God, I pray that you remove all distractions far from us. Help us to focus on this all-important truth. I pray, Father, that today would be a day of salvation for the sake of your glory, that today would be a day of salvation of sinners, that, that those who are lost would be found. Those who are in darkness would be transferred to the kingdom of light. Those who are in the grave of sin would be resurrected by the power of your spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Oh God, I pray that today would be a wonderful day of salvation. And I pray that today would be a day of transformation. Oh, set your church free from laziness and apathy. Set your church free from worldliness. And help us to live in the good works that you have prepared for us to do beforehand. We are eager and we are dependent. And we wait upon you, Father, with open Bibles and open hearts. Come. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, I have a crazy question for you Christians this morning. Crazy question. From God's perspective, are you more like a cup or a conduit? When God pours his grace into your life, does it simply stay there? Or does God's grace overflow through your life and get shared with others? So are you a spiritual cul-de-sac or are you a spiritual on-ramp to the interstate? In other words, are you a receiver just of God's grace or do you both receive and share God's grace with others? Ephesians 2 verses 4 to 10 teach that God works in you so that he can work through you. God's all-powerful grace turns cups into conduits, turns stagnant cisterns into flowing creeks. When you receive God's saving grace, he changes your very nature so that you are now united with Christ and his life himself. You can think of it this way, like your life is a glove and Jesus is the hand. And once my glove is filled with Jesus' hand, I will move differently. Once your life is united with Christ's life, it changes how you live. God's saving grace unites you with Jesus for good works. God works in you so that God can work through you. Christians should never 
hoard God's grace or just selfishly store it up for themselves. You were saved to serve. See, God has a greater purpose for your salvation than just merely rescuing you from hell. Now, of course, we praise God that he has forever rescued us from sin and from sin's judgment. It is certainly glorious to be saved from the damnation that we justly deserve. But church, God's glory is advanced most by what God saves us to, not just what God saves us from. We are saved to serve. So we must have a biblical understanding of what it means to be saved. This passage is packed full of God's powerful grace, which is at work in all who put their faith in Jesus' work for their eternal standing before God. This scripture reveals the who, the what, the how, and the why of God's plan for our salvation. So as we study this text together this morning, just keep asking yourself, do I believe this? Am I personally participating in God's salvation as he describes it here? Does my life testify to God's grace at work within me? How is God calling me to respond to this good news today? We begin in verse 4 by learning how God works in you because of who he is. Now, let's quickly review verses 1 to 3 because the first three verses of this chapter reveal who we are before God saves us. According to verses 1 and 3, before we receive God's saving grace, every human being is in the position of death and sin. Verse 1 says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. In other words, The reason we practice sin was because we were in a sinful position. We sinned because we were sinful. We were in the position of sin and therefore we practiced sin. According to verses 2 and 3, we lived under the power of three powers. The world system, Satan, which is called the prince of the power of the air, and our own fleshly desires. So like all the rest of mankind, our disobedient position against God only deserved God's judgment, which verse 3 calls his wrath. So translation, before God worked in us, we were all spiritually in the position of damnation and eternal death. But God... This opening to verse 4 burst onto the page like a beautiful sunrise after the darkest night. But God powerfully works in sinners, not because of who we are, but because of who He is. Let your soul leap for joy this morning as we see how God describes Himself in these verses. 
At the beginning of verse 4, God is merciful. Look at the verse. But God being rich in mercy. Oh, loved ones, mercy is God's undeserved compassion or pity that keeps us from getting the punishment that we deserve. And notice, God is not a mercy miser. He is rich in mercy. He's lavish. He's overflowing. He's wildly generous and unlimited in his mercy. You say, well, why would God be so merciful to a sinner like me? Well, verse 4 goes on to explain, because of the great love with which he loved us. God is loving. God works in sinners mercifully because he loves them as his own. Our God is the God who is love. Now, our world operates with such a law ethic that we often question, how can a holy God love someone who's such a pile of need like myself? But remember, this is agape love. This is the kind of love that sacrificially gives yourself away for the eternal good of another. This is not cotton candy kind of ooey gooey love. This is the love of the will that is freely given apart from any condition or any merit. After all, look at verse 4. He loves sinners with a great love. Not a small love. Not a limited love. But with a great love. A love that is so great that he's even willing to die for those who are his enemies. So friends, in contrast to who you are, God is merciful. And God is loving And as verse 5 says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. What does this mean? This means God is powerful. There is nothing that God cannot do. He has the resurrection power to raise dead sinners to the position of eternal life. Now listen very carefully for a moment, because I want you to see, church, how Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, is actually explaining the prayer that Paul prayed for all Christians back in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. The end of chapter 1 contains Paul's prayer that all Christians would know what? That they would know the immeasurable greatness of God's power and his great might that he worked in Christ when he, God, raised up Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. But now in chapter 2, look at verse 6. It says that believers are raised up with Christ, and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. This means then that the same power that was historically demonstrated in Christ's exaltation is now being demonstrated in the salvation of sinners. God works in you because of who he is. The same power that raised Jesus above all things is the same power that is at work in you, sinner, and building us together into his church.
So then God is merciful, and God is loving, and God is powerful, and also in verse 7, God is kind. God saves sinners, verse 7, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. God is full of grace. He is kind. Translation, God is good. His character is good. So think about the goodness of God, church. God works in you because of who he is rather than because who you are or what you have done. Our salvation is rooted in the character and the action of God, not our own conduct, not our own character. And praise God for that, right? So let's look again at these same verses now, verses 4 to 7, to consider what God actually does in our salvation. In salvation, write this down, in salvation, God's grace unites you with Jesus. I don't want you to miss that. This is what salvation means, church. The most comprehensive, is that the way to say that? Comprehensive, yeah. The most comprehensive way to think about salvation is to think about salvation as union with Christ. Salvation, of course, includes all kinds of blessings. It includes forgiveness from sin's penalty, freedom from sin's power, the promise of living forever with God apart from sin's presence. But the whole biblical doctrine of salvation is best understood as eternal oneness with Jesus himself. God's saving work is God's grace eternally uniting a sinner with the Lord of glory, with the Savior and Lord of all, through faith. So Paul makes this point by using three verbs in verses 4 to 7. And all three of these verbs are so unknown or rare that James Boyce actually believes Paul invented these words and made them up just to make a point. Which reminds me of how one of our elders once made up the word effortine. Of course, effortine is not really a word. But when Chad Lehman wants to emphasize how all of us elders are really working hard at something, he will compliment all the elders for all of our effortine. And see, Paul is actually doing something very similar here. Just like Chad invented a new word by putting an I-N-G on a noun, Paul artificially adds the prefix that means with to three separate verbs. And this is all to emphasize that our salvation consists of being with Jesus. You might underline these three words in verses 5 and 6. The first one, made alive together with, raised up with, seated us with. Together, those three words explain what it means to be saved or rescued by God's grace 
from the judgment that our sinful position deserved. So let's consider each one in turn. First, verse 5 teaches you are made alive together with Jesus. This is the miracle of spiritual rebirth, being born again. From verses 1 to 3, we can understand that this is the greatest need of any sinner. Once you are dead, your only hope is the miracle of resurrection. So you might write down these two words in your notes next to being made alive. Life and resurrection. This is what salvation grants to a sinner. Newness of life or union with Jesus' resurrection. And then notice at the end of verse 5, there's this parenthetical interruption that makes it crystal clear that your salvation is entirely the work of God's grace. There's no reason within us that God should give us spiritual life. We were dead. We were unable to meet any of God's conditions. It's only by grace that you are saved. Verse 6 continues, And you were raised up with him. Now, being raised up with Jesus refers more to the ascension than it does to the resurrection. Being made alive in verse 5 refers to the resurrection. But being raised up with Jesus refers to when Jesus was taken up to heaven after his resurrection, when he ascended. In other words, listen carefully. God's grace in salvation raises up our thinking and are living to a higher plane, to a heavenly plane. Verse 2 says that before our salvation, we walked or we lived according to the course of this world. But now, by God's grace, our resurrected life now operates according to the course of heaven. Just as Colossians 3 teaches if then you have been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things of this earth. So listen carefully. To be raised with Christ means that our soul is no longer living according to this world's values. Salvation gives us a new mind, the mind of Christ, so that now we perceive eternal reality free from all the worldly powers of materialism and humanism and worldliness in this age. So if you wrote down the two words life and resurrection next to being made alive, write down the two words liberty and renewal of the mind next to being raised up with. Verse 6 continues to describe what happens in our salvation when we are united with Jesus by saying that you were seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And by the way, don't miss this. Did you notice that all three of these verbs are in the past tense? Which is emphasizing that right now, today, in the present, you, Christian, have already been made alive. You have already been raised up together with Christ. You have already been seated with Christ 
at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. No matter how you feel in the moment, this is now your new glorious present position in Christ. Now ponder the glory of this. What does it mean that I'm even now today, while I live on this earth, seated together with Christ? What does that mean? Even as chapter 1 verse 20 said, Jesus is seated at God's right hand in the heavenly places. Where is Jesus sitting in heaven? Well, it's on a throne, which is a place of authority. It's a place of honor. So certainly, our union with Jesus means that we are now agents of his authority. We are agents of his victory on earth. But I think verse 7 offers an even greater insight into the wonders of being seated together with Jesus in heavenly places. Because verse 7 says that the purpose of our exaltation with Christ is so that God himself might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Translation, to be seated with Christ at the right hand of God the Father is not only a place of honor, but it's a place of intimacy. It's a place of revelation. It's a place where God the Father opens his own heart to us and shows us more and more the wonders of his grace and generosity and mercy and love. This is love. This is revelation. Our salvation is all by God's grace and it consists already today, Christian, of resurrection life, of renewing liberty, and of revelatory love. This is what it means to be saved, to be forever united with Jesus in his resurrection, his ascension, and his eternal communion with the Father. Oh, church, can you imagine what eternity is going to be like as God is continually showing us more and more of his eternal generosity and his limitless love, all while we're able to now comprehend it without the effects of sin? What glorious gift to be a child of God forever. Our salvation is such a gift. And of course, that's what verses 8 to 9 go on to teach. Salvation is God's undeserved work in you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So no one can boast. This could not be more clear. Your salvation or your union with Christ is undeserved and it is accomplished by God's grace alone. The same grace that Paul referred to back in verse 5 is the same grace that brings salvation. So what's grace? What's God's grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor. It's his undeserved blessing. Grace, by definition, can never be earned or deserved. 
Grace is never fair. Grace is always unconditional. And it's far more lavish than justice. So we've been united with Jesus simply by the undeserved and unconditional determination of God himself. Salvation's source is the character and action of God alone, not humans. Salvation is not based on any human decision. Salvation is not based on any human effort or anything said or done by humans. It's not your own doing. Verse 8 clearly says. Now, perhaps someone objects to such a God-centered salvation. They, they argue, but, well, but, 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 but doesn't verse 8 teach that we are saved through faith? Yes. Well, isn't faith a human responsibility? Yes. Isn't faith the one necessary condition for our salvation? Well, yes, of course. Clearly, verse 8 aligns with many other scriptures by teaching that salvation is received through faith alone. Only those who believe in Jesus will be saved. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Salvation must be received by faith in order for its benefits to be realized in the soul. But let's not confuse the means of our reception with the grounds or the basis of our salvation. The grounds or the basis of our salvation is God's grace alone. But the only way that a person can receive personally that salvation is through faith alone. So we have to make sure we have a biblical understanding of faith because there's lots of popular thought about faith that just is not true. Contrary to popular thought, saving faith is not just intellectual agreement or deeply held feelings. Saving faith is not just spiritual optimism or the power of positive thinking, which is just thinly veiled self-confidence. No, saving faith, listen carefully. What is saving faith? Saving faith, by definition, is a non-work. Saving faith, by definition, is a rejection of all self-reliance and all self-confidence and all self-trust. Saving faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it. No matter how I feel, because I'm trusting God and not myself to bring about a good result for his glory in his time. Saving faith is simply relying on God and what he has said and what he has done for my salvation and not relying on me. It's like when you sit down in a chair, you, you entrust your weight entirely to that chair. You stop trying to hold yourself up in any way. You just entrust the weight of your life to that chair. So likewise, saving faith is entrusting your salvation entirely on the work of God and not your own. 
And this is why saving faith always necessarily includes repentance. Because the faith which connects a soul with God's saving grace necessarily excludes boasting and self-reliance. So therefore, your salvation is entirely the work of God. God is even, according to Hebrews, the author and finisher of your faith. Even the repentance and faith which allows you to receive God's grace is a gift from God to you. So this passage makes it very clear that salvation is entirely God's work of undeserved favor towards you. Isn't that glorious, church? Now then, let's consider verse 10, which reveals an important purpose for our being united with Jesus. Salvation results in God working through you. Look at verse 10. For, this means this is why salvation is a gift from God. This is why salvation does not owe itself to any human origin or any human work. For we are His workmanship. Pause for a moment and let that sink in. (laughs) The reason... Christian, that you have nothing to boast about in your salvation is because you are God's work of art. You are God's trophy of grace. You are God's masterpiece. The verse goes on. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So then notice, your good works are actually God's work. It's just like Philippians 2.13 says, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I need to explain this. I need to explain this because let's remember what we've been learning through this, through this series Before Christ, in verse 2 of this chapter, before Christ, all of our works, all of our efforts, all of our ministry, all of our good things that we try to do, all of our moral deeds, before Christ, all of our good works were disobedient sins and trespasses that deserve judgment. That was the best work we could do apart from faith in Christ. Because remember what Hebrews says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But once God's grace unites you to Jesus, and you've been made alive with Him, and you've been raised up together with Him, and you've been seated together with Him in the heavenly places, now, for the first time in our lives, we are actually able to please God. Now, because of Jesus' life in us, God is free to work through us that we might love God and others the way he originally destined us to do. So don't miss this. Just as you cannot take any credit for your salvation, so likewise you cannot take any credit, Christian, for your ministry. All your good works, all your Christian ministry, all your service, all your love of others that truly pleases God is actually God himself working in you and through you. You've got the life of Jesus in your glove. 
You are his workmanship. And notice, all your good works are actually God working through you since your good works actually fulfill God's eternal plan. Did you notice this? Verse 10 teaches that your good works or your ministry of love to God and others was actually predetermined by God for you before you were ever born. Isn't that glorious? By God's grace, every Christian was destined to please God with supernatural love, what we call good works. In fact, the last three chapters of Ephesians are devoted to revealing what kind of good works that God predestines us to walk in by his power that is working in us. So then make no mistake, your good works evidence your salvation. We are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. And if anyone claims to be united with Jesus by faith, but no supernatural work of love is evident in their life, then they have no assurance of salvation. For any faith that does not produce Godward obedience or love is a dead faith, and that kind of faith cannot save. Saving faith unites a soul with the resurrection, the ascension, the communion of Christ himself. And once you are saved and united with Jesus by faith, then his all-powerful hand of love fills your life. And you cannot help but to walk in love and live in his good works. These works of love, of course, are never the grounds for your salvation. Verses 8 and 9 are clear about that. But these works are the evidence. They are the proof of your salvation. They're the very testimony of God himself working through you in fulfillment of his eternal plan. Now, I don't know about you, but this is radically transformational. This ought to increase our praise of God for his saving grace in our life, and it ought to free our lives from apathy and the laziness and worldliness that is hindering our work for God on this earth. This truth should give us a greater zeal to obey and to overcome, to love in the power that God has entrusted to us. After all, God works in you so that he can work through you. You were saved to serve. So this doesn't matter whether we're thinking about just the service of daily loving my family, like Christ loved me, or whether this is talking about serving in VBS or our one-way kids club this month, or, or serving together in our witnessing or in our life groups or our Bible studies or in sacrificial generosity or, or, or serving in the ministry of prayer It doesn't matter if we're preparing to go on a short-term trip. Whatever God is calling you to do for him, you can have the confidence that God himself is working in you so that he can work through you. What a privilege to be united with Jesus by faith. What a life-changing gift to be graciously placed in the position of spiritual life and liberty and love in Christ. 
Friend, if you, if you are still trying to please God apart from faith in Jesus, I urge you, please, I don't care if you've been a member here for 40 years, please, if you're trying to establish your standing before a holy God by how you live and what you do and all your efforts, repent. Repent of your self-reliance. Turn from your sinful pride. Trust in the cross of Christ. Jesus died to pay for your sins. He rose from the dead to give you newness of life. He ascended to the Father so that you could have a new mind set free from the powers of this world and you could have joyful intimacy forever with your Creator. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that you might be saved by His amazing grace. Ephesians calls us to celebrate our position in Christ that is given to us all by his powerful grace. And so that's what we want to do now in communion together. We want to celebrate our common union, communion together in Jesus's life. So if you have the elements, please take those. If you don't have them and you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, raise your hand. We'd love to bring some to you so that you can participate with us. This juice uh, is going to remind us of Jesus' blood that was shed to cover our sins. The cracker at the top, that that reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken in order to give us eternal life. And so this ceremony is designed to remind us of Jesus' sacrifice and his cross-bearing, that that is the grounds for our entire life and ministry together. So I now invite anyone who has been united with Jesus by God's grace to prepare to eat the cracker by just peeling off that top clear plastic packaging on the top of the lid of the communion cup. And again, if you haven't yet trusted Jesus for your salvation or... If you are right now persisting in unrepentant sin and you're digging in and you don't want to repent, please refrain from participating until you have repented of your sins and turn from your self-reliance. I don't want you to eat or drink judgment upon yourself. After all, when we eat and we drink of this symbolic meal here, it's supposed to be just a living object lesson of your true union with our Savior, Jesus. So for those who have been united with Jesus' death and resurrection by faith in Him, let's remember now how God saved us to serve Him through the death of His Son. For on that night that Jesus was betrayed, He took bread, and when He had given thanks, He he broke the bread. And He said, This is My body, which is for you. So Jesus died in our place, church, so that we could inherit his place at the right hand of the Father. His body was crushed to make us all together one body in God. And Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. Amen.
Now let's peel off the top lid of the juice, which represents and reminds us of Jesus' blood that was shed for us. Loved ones, have you, have you thanked Jesus today yet for your salvation? <laughs> Are you thankful for his rich mercy, for his great love, for his eternal kindness? Have you thanked God yet today for his saving power, which has eternally united you with our risen Lord? In the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Father, we want to just say thank you. Thank you for your grace, your wonderful, marvelous, matchless grace. Thank you, Father, for your mercy that keeps us from receiving what we deserve. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your love. There is no God like you. Thank you for being a God who's powerful enough not only to seat us together with Christ in the heavenlies even now, but a God who's powerful enough to work through us and truly love others in a way that fulfills your righteousness. Oh God, you are a powerful God. You are an awesome God. And as your church, we praise you and we thank you. I pray, Father, that gratitude and thanksgiving would fuel our worship of you this week that our witness for you would be powered by your spirit at work within us and that we would live in gratitude for all that you have done on our behalf. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able, would you please stand with us as we sing In Christ Alone.
righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as jesus died the wrath of god was satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of christ i live the power of Christ, and we serve in the power of Christ, and we stand in the power of Christ alone. What a glorious gospel our God has given to us. Oh, church, I pray that your thanksgiving for Jesus would overflow, that it would set you free from the grips of sin, that you glorify Him in your witness together this week. Let's pray our benediction as we go out into our week. And just a reminder, today at 9.30, so the next hour coming up here, we're going to do a very, very special thing this morning, and I don't want you to miss out. Our entire church family is gathering together to pray. Yes, we are not ashamed of our dependence. We know that everything we need comes from Him, and that prayer is a means of aligning our will with His. So we have a tremendous amount of things where we are believing God is calling us to serve Him. God is calling us to do some amazing work for Him. But we know before we do that this summer, we must pray. So don't miss this next hour at 9.30 right in this room. We're going to gather. We're going to have a time of an hour of led prayer together that God will help us to depend more on Him and connect with His Spirit 
at work in us. So please be part of that. Let's pray our benediction now together. We'll start by saying the address together. Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all those who have been united with Jesus would say, amen. Amen. You are dismissed.